Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hello, friends. Welcome back to our apostolic music season. I hope you are enjoying the guests and conversations we've had so far. Today on the show, I'm talking with Brother Jeremy Hoffey of St. Louis, Missouri. Brother Hoffey is the music ministry director for the United Pentecostal Church International Music Division, and he also serves his home church, The Sanctuary, as their worship pastor. He is a music lover and a teacher with the heart of a pastor, as you will hear in this conversation. He brought so much wisdom to our discussion, and I can't wait to share it with you. So let's get started. Here's my conversation with Brother Jeremy Hoffey. Brother Jeremy Hoffey, welcome to Good Question. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're really excited to talk to you here in our Apostolic Music season about your role with the music department for the UPCI and just also your own personal experience with leading music, leading worship. So tell us a little bit to start off about yourself, who you are, your background, and how you became involved with music. Well, that's some big questions there. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, I I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Illinois, Southern Illinois to be exact, and a little town called Heron, Illinois. I spent some time in uh, a town called Centralia, Illinois as a really young kid uh, growing up, but basically grew up in the church, you know, like many of us, and um, just had a love for music, you know, always was the kid that was watching the drummers and watching the bass players and, <laughs> you know, just had my eye on them, you know, just, you know, as crazy as I think back, I was like, I, you know, you never know why you just had a, a you know, a love for that, but you mm-hmm. just were drawn to that. And anyway, as I grew up, you know, in the church, I first, be honest, I first had a love for the bass guitar. Mm-hmm. I just loved all the bass players. I wanted to be a bass player. I was about uh, 10 years old, I think it was, 10, 11, somewhere around there. I started taking um, some bass lessons. Just my youth pastor was like one of my little first inspirations, you know, to play bass. And, um, you know, it was just something I wanted to do, you know. And uh, my family allowed me to kind of pursue that a little bit. In fact, uh, what's funny is one of my first bass players was Calvin Jean, Brother Calvin Jean, mm. which pastors in Salem, Illinois. Anyway, he he played for JCM and like he was like my idol. You know, I wanted to be a bass player. So anyway, that was one like my first introduction to just playing music. And, you know, I began to actually play bass in the church when I was about 13 for the youth group. And that was probably my first you know, if you could call it taste for playing, you know, in a church setting. Anyway, that's kind of where I first began playing in church as far as youth service and kind of cut my teeth doing that. Then we moved, we moved, uh, I think I was in eighth grade, we moved to Heron, Illinois, and kind of really established my musical roots there in a church that was really strong in music, really, really strong in Bible quizzing and in music. And, uh, you know, just opened their their arms open to me as far as a young person to come in and play. Started to kind of gravitate towards the piano. 
<laughs> I have a funny saying that I tell people all the time. I'm like, my first love is bass guitar, but I had to make a living, so I had to go to the keyboard. Which <laughs> 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 is kind of true. Uh, but I started to, you know, I, in fact, I didn't start taking more um, of a direction towards piano until I was probably about 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was a little bit of a late late bloomer there as far as that. But I uh, started just studying and talking to my pastor's wife, show, you know, show me this, show me that. Of course, I had a foundation in playing bass. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was kind of my, you know, uh, my formative years, I guess, my teenage years. And to be quite honest, you know, music, and I tell people this a lot, music and Bible quizzing saved my life. Mm-hmm. It really did. Uh, music was the glue for me. As a young kid growing up in the church, uh, I had a little bit of a dysfunctional type of family. You know, my parents split up when I was really young. I was adopted, you know, all those. I don't want to go into all my, you know, history, but, um, and um, I live with my pastor. My pastor kind of finished raising me, believe it or not, when I was about 16 to 18. And um, just all those stories kind of, you know, kind of are my formative years musically, but I started just to fall in love with music. I started to fall in love with playing music in the church. And I was just like, man, it became kind of who I was. And it really, honestly, when I look back in my life, it, it really saved me. Uh, it really kept me in the church. And so I, I'm so thankful for that because, you know, those years where you're just trying to figure things out, it was the glue for me. Mm. <laughs> so I... Wow. Yeah, I just I just credit so much. I thank the Lord for allowing me to have that to keep me grounded in the church, even if it was music, even if it was Bible quizzing, whatever it was that kept me occupied in the church. I'm so thankful for it. That's it amazing. amazing. And it's good, I think, for parents to hear that, one, that children can find that passion that they're going to carry mm-hmm. through their whole lives very yes. young. And um, that allowing them to be involved in whatever is keeping them connected to the church is a good thing. I mean, as a parent (laughs) of small children, you know, any kind of like lessons that you pay for your children or, you know, uh, even you're talking about Bible quizzing. Mm -hmm. I look at it as, as a child who went through Bible quizzing and I know the benefits of it. I also know the time that it requires and the dedication Mm -hmm. that it requires. And so as a parent of a very active six-year-old, I'm like, I don't know if we have the capacity for this right now. Um, (laughs) But it's good to hear that those things are foundational and carried you through absolutely into adulthood and and ministry in, in the church. 100%. And and in my case, I didn't have a strong family type of a background to hold me in the truth and in the church. But these things became that for me. And so that I was so grateful for. And that there's no doubt. And I mean, as a young boy, I didn't understand, you know, why I was just so in love with music. And so, I mean, everybody likes music. And but there was just such a passion there that and then when I got a taste of playing in church, that's why I'm a really big proponent of getting our young people involved in youth service in mm-hmm. some kind of capacity of playing for something in the church because it just got a hold of me and it, it just was like, man, this is what I would love to do, you know, and yeah. God put that in my heart. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it probably also on a practical level, it helps you to get over some of those nerves, some yeah. of that um, intimidation factor when you're younger. I feel like that it maybe even gets worse as you get older. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> to a certain right. level, if you haven't had experience as a young person doing that kind of thing, to try true. to step into that as an adult can be a little bit daunting. That's very I think true. That's amazing. Yeah. 
So on the on the topic of like kids and and instruments and stuff, you said you started out on the bass and then uh-huh. moved on to the keyboards. Do you have something that you tell parents like if you have a kid that's interested in music, do you have a place where you tell them to start? Do you encourage them to start on one instrument or another or just to kind of follow what they're interested in? Um, I typically do this. I I honestly let them start wherever they're interested in mm-hmm. because that's what's, you know, in them at the moment. Now mm-hmm. that may change. If they don't have a specific, like, I don't know, I just want to play something. If they don't have an interest in a specific instrument, I do steer them more towards piano mm-hmm. um, to start out with um, because I just feel like that's one of the most foundational instruments. But if they do already have, if they, if they say, hey, I really would love to play drums, then I'm going to definitely let them start with their passion. Mm. You know, And that may change and evolve over time, and many, time it, many times it does. But yeah, if they don't have a specific thing that they say, then I would say piano is probably my, my go-to. I'm going to always say for church music, believe it or not, the bass guitar is so incredibly um, helpful mm-hmm. in, hearing, in hearing chord progressions and hearing the root movement of chords the bass is such a great instrument for that this is no knock to the all the incredible bass players out there but it is a fairly <laughs> instrument a fairly good instrument to get started with and to play at a basic level fairly quickly yeah and so that's always cool too you know to help out a church that might say well it may take forever to learn the guitar or something bass sometimes is a little quicker path to being able to play at least at a basic level yeah and then do you encourage um people to to go the more traditional like sight reading route or do you say any playing is good playing? Like if you're playing, it's yeah. all right. Or how do you, how well, do you approach that? That's a great question. <laughs> that's a very good question. And parents definitely ask this question. Um, and it all depends. And here's, here's what I usually say is it really depends on what you want out of it. Now in a perfect world, it's, it's incredible to know both. That's the perfect world to be able to read you know, traditional sheet music, and then to be able to know theory and chord charts and read read more of the church type of uh, playing chords. So um, most people that I teach nowadays, um, they want to play in the church and they want their kids to be able to play like our modern church music. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that is not sheet music. That is not traditional note reading. Mm-hmm. That is strictly theory the number system, reading chords, and that's where I would probably push them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you're wanting, though, to play, I mean, there's there's such a blessing, though, in being able to read traditional sheet music, you know, for Christmas cantatas and mm-hmm. big productions and Easter and, you know, that type of music you're going to need to read. Yeah. So that's why I say if you can do both, it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. Even for, like, leading, I'm thinking about recently our preparing for Easter Mm-hmm. Um, working on a choir song and being able to pick out the different vocal parts based yeah. off of the music, the sheet music was very helpful yeah. um, to be able to like, wait, wait a minute, what are we singing here? Okay, let's look at it. Yep. This, is, this is what it's supposed to be. <laughs> right. um, and you're not like everybody squawking around <laughs> trying to find yeah. the part. <laughs> that's exactly right. Absolutely. And that's really where it comes in really handy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're talking a little bit about teaching and, and um, training musicians um, you you do have a, a music school, is that correct? Yes, here in St. Louis. Uh-huh. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Well, my wife and I kind of started a, a music school about 13 years ago, I think it was. Yeah, probably about 13 years ago, called J. Oscar School of Music. Basically, you know, what's funny is I've, I've taught lessons all my life since I was, honestly, probably since I was about 17. 
started teach, teaching young kids in my church. I just had a passion for showing somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. um, what I knew, you know, I guess, you know, and helping them. And so, yeah, about 13 years ago, um, towards the end of our time at Gateway College, of course, now Urshan College, I told my wife, uh, in fact, we were on corral tour with, with Gateway, uh, I think my, my ninth year of being there. And we were on corral tour, we were coming home on the bus. And I, I just felt an overwhelming feeling of I needed to start a music school. I just, I was like, okay, is this the pizza I just had last night? Or what? <laughs> I was like, God, I don't know if this is just me or what this is, you know? Um, but anyway, I, I told my wife, I said, I really feel like I want to go home this summer and, and just look into possibly starting some kind of a small school. I said, I'll start with students I have currently and um, just kind of go from there. So, she was like, if you feel it strongly, you know, let's, let's at least pursue it. So we kind of just took a small step and I rented a little space uh, down the road that had maybe 700 square feet, a couple rooms. I was already currently teaching probably seven or eight students, something like that, just on the side, a side income. And I took those students, put my name on the building. You know, I, I've always had kind of entrepreneurial feelings and, and tendencies in my life just all throughout growing up. So I was like, let's just try this. I said, babe, I'm going to sign a lease for one year. Let's see what happens. If it doesn't work, we'll just say we tried, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So, you know, at the end of the year, we had we had grown. Um, I don't, I can't remember. I think we were like 30 students or something like that, 35. I can't remember. But we had I'd hired another teacher, a friend of mine, to help me. And so it just started to show me that I think there's possibly a chance here of this working. And that's honestly how I started it. But I I look back and I don't want to take too much time here, but I look back and even back when I was single and like 20 years old, living in Illinois, playing music at my church, I remember I kind of forgot about this, but I forgot. I kind of had that whole entrepreneurial thinking back when I was 19, 20 years old. Mm. I was traveling to Christian schools in Southern Illinois. In fact, I went to Brother Gene's school up in Salem. I went to a church in Murfreesboro, Illinois, and in Heron. Different schools, I would call them. They were Christian schools, so they weren't uh, public schools. And I would say, hey, I teach music lessons. Would you have any interest in me coming in in the afternoons and teaching some of your students? I literally, back then, had like, I don't know, probably 50 students, you know, as a 20-year-old. Mm. So it was a great side income. I loved it. I felt like a business guy, you know, here I was 19, <laughs> 20 years old, driving around, teaching all these kids. Anyway, so when I think back about that, God still had that in my heart. I still love to do that. Yeah. And at 20 years old, I wasn't ready to start a business, you know. Fast forward, you know, 17 years. And then I was like, this is really what I, I still want to try this. So. Yeah. We did. We tried it. We 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 launched out. And I and I, I wanted to get into I think one of your questions and I wanted to answer that was why did you start the school? And that's a great question. And I'll be very honest with you why I started the school. My last year or two uh at uh, Gateway College, um I just started to feel um I just started to feel God was nudging me to to do something else. This is mm. another season of my life. I, there was nothing wrong. I loved my job. In fact, people, you know, people told me like, why in their world would you walk away from a job like that? It's incredible. And 
And the only thing I could tell him was I just felt so strongly that it was coming to an end, that, that I had put 10 years in and I just felt like I didn't want to just do something for a paycheck if the passion wasn't there mm-hmm. and if I didn't feel the burden for that. And it kind of had lifted somewhat, to be honest. So I felt like there was a new season. And I told my wife that I told her a year in advance. I said, I think our time here may be coming to an end. And um, so with that being said, I started feeling the school, you know, pulling on me. So a year before we stopped um, working for Gateway College, a year before is when I started the music school. To be quite honest, I was testing the waters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to leave my job, you know, of course. It's something I <laughs> love doing and provided for my family. And I loved I loved my 10 years that I put in at Gateway for, for Urshan. But anyway, I did that for a year, my final year at Gateway. And um, when I saw that I felt like it was the right thing, then we went ahead and told the college, which I had told them a year in advance that that probably was going to stop. But that's where the school kind of the music school started started for me. And I felt like, man, this is something I want to put my energy into. And that's how we really started the whole operation. And um, here we are 13 years later, still still doing it. Yeah, that's really, really, really cool. It was amazing. I, I love working with. I love working with the public. I love working with the city. I get to have influence, and I'm a big proponent of apostolic business because I believe we should be a light, and I believe we should be in the business world. Yeah. And so it's just been a blessing. You know, it's been an, it's been evangelism tool for me. Yeah, I would. I was one. That was going to be my next question. Was do you see? Um, the ability then to to impact people who are just thinking, hey, I want to learn some music and um, don't realize they're walking into an apostolic business. A hundred and fifty percent. Because my wife and I both have said, you know, this business has, God has given us has, has been a tool. It just mm-hmm. is. Because to be quite honest, I would say probably a about 70% of our students are are not church. They're mm-hmm. not apostolic. They're just public. You know, I mean, there many of them are, are you know, Christians and Baptists and, you know, just different things. But some of them are, are you know, not. Some of yeah. them do not ever attend a church. Um, but I would say about 25% of our business is apostolics. So, therefore, the majority is not. Right. And I, I just personally— love it because yeah. they get to walk in to our environment and they many of them have said man when we walk in your business it's just different you know there's yeah. just so much love you know they say all those different words just like they would for a church or a different yeah. setting like that but it's just a it's an opportunity every time we have our recitals at our church Mm. So t- three times a year, they're actually in our building, in our church here in St. Louis. Um, so we have we have had people, many of them, that have come to lessons. And over time, uh, in fact, there's, there's a couple right now that's in our church, actively involved in our church, that uh, we didn't know it when they came to us, but they were formerly apostolic. You know, back in the day, oh. walked away from walked away from God, but they said we just felt like this was the place we needed to come and bring our daughter to lessons, <laughs> and we didn't know this, but they were former, you know, uh, apostolic, in fact, actually UPCI, wow. and so anyway, God restored them, brought them back into the church, just amazing. Uh, I had someone walk in this week, this week, that I could tell the husband, I could tell there was something he has had an experience. And he asked my wife, he said, are you all apostolic? Mm. She said, yes. And he was raised apostolic. Mm. 
Mm. And so I mean, he hasn't even started lessons yet. So we'll see where this is going to happen. But it's all that to say, yes, 100%, God has given us a, a platform to, to reach people that I absolutely love. I love that because so, you know, we're doing a whole we're doing a whole season focused on music. And I'm sure that we have listeners that aren't musicians and aren't uh, singers or Mm -hmm. worship leaders. And so I think one of the things that I'm passionate about that my husband and I are both very passionate about is that idea that ministry does not have to happen behind a pulpit in a church um, Mm -hmm. that really anything and everything that you do, if you're following the spirit the Lord is going to lead you to the people that you need to reach and that each of us can reach people that no one else can reach. And if that's through owning a business or working in a secular job or whatever calling that we feel on our life, whether that's a quote unquote, you know, traditional ministry calling or not, right? that we need to be sensitive to that and following after that. So I, I love yep. that encouragement for people that are feeling like, man, I have this crazy idea. This crazy idea just came to me. <laughs> Yeah. What, what well, is I this? Mean, yeah, it's it's use whatever platform God gives you. I mean, whatever you're good at, whatever your passion is, you should be a light. I mean, that's yeah. just the bottom line. Whether it's business or whatever you do, uh, then that's that's the way I look at it. At least you know, um, you know, people. I get you know when we worked with the college students and and. And I don't I know this is off topic somewhat, but, you know, people always get caught up on the will of God for my mm-hmm. life, the will mm-hmm. of God for my life. What is it, you know, and how am I going to find it and all those things. And I know that's something you face when you're young and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. But to be quite honest, I have found, and I'm sure this will go against some people's thought patterns, but <laughs> I have found that follow after what you're good at, follow after your passions, because God gave you those anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the scripture that says he'll give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean if you desire a Porsche, you get a Porsche. <laughs> that, means, that means God puts desires in you that you want to do. Mm-hmm. God put a desire to me and uh, put a desire for music and for teaching in me. I didn't realize that when I was young. I just realized I loved music. But God was putting those desires in me and he gave those to me. So I followed after that. And that was his will for my life. Yeah. So that's why I, I want to encourage someone today that's trying to figure out what is God's will. Many times God's will is what he's what has he given you? What is yeah. he what are you good at? You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. it's not that mystical for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know. That's just my two cents on that is follow after what God's blessed you and gifted you with. And many times that is his will for you. Yeah. It makes me think of Moses, you know, what's in your hand. Yeah. Just right. Just Absolutely. Use it. <laughs> Absolutely. Use it. And- yeah, I mean, and for me, it was just playing music and teaching music. And, and so I've kind of just, I've really, op- I've just walked through every open door that there has been. And I've always prayed God shut the wrong doors and open the right ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That That is definitely the way that I have felt the Lord direct my life is just mm-hmm. through that process of where do, where do the doors open and where do they close? And, yeah, you know, it, I can, I can remember I left, I moved to New York um, when I was just graduated from college single, did not know a soul. Uh-huh. And I remember I had been in college in Little Rock and I dr- I was driving away from Little Rock where I had established friendships and church. And, um, you know, I'd been there for two years, two and a half years. And I felt like, man, I'm starting all over again. I just, I just got settled here. I'm starting all over again. But knowing, just, just like this knowing in my soul, even as I cried the whole way from Little Rock back to Tulsa, <laughs> mm. that what I was doing was what God wanted me to do. Yeah. And 
it didn't, it didn't make sense, but it was an open door and it was an open door through my secular career. Mm. Um, and through that, God led me to New York. He led me to Bethel UPC. He led me to my husband mm-hmm. and all of that was a process, but it it all came through just saying yes to one job opportunity and not, not even knowing where that was going to, was going to take me. So That's awesome. he, he directs, you know, he directs yeah. our steps in every little thing. Definitely. It's just hard to see it in the moment sometimes. Right. <laughs> it's a trust. <laughs> it's a trust thing. It is. <laughs> yes, for sure. Absolutely. So I know we're kind of um, detouring off of some of these questions that we had prepared for you, but I've got thoughts running through my brain that I want to, that okay. I want to pursue. So okay. you directed music at Gateway um, for 10 years. And one of the things that I'm wondering were there students that arrived kind of ahead of the game? And what were the factors? Were those technique or were they personality? Well, in my in my experience, you know, I don't know that there was that many that came in ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, not really. I mean, because there's so much involved, in my opinion, that needs to be there to really be an effective music minister. And, and, and I mean, that's kind of where I'm with this is, is yes, there's two components. You've got to be able to play. You've got to be able to teach parts. You've got to know music inside and out on the technical aspects. But to be quite honest, I tell music ministers, I tell college students to this day, mm, 75% of my job is not music. Right. 75% of my job is dealing with people. And honestly, and knowing how to manage people, knowing how to love people, knowing how to pastor people, mm-hmm. if I could use that term. Um, music is, of course, the vehicle for me. But um, in some ways, in some ways, that's kind of the easier part. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that loosely, but because but, I love what I do. I love music. I love playing. I love teaching it. Um, but... As far as students coming in, I felt like those that came in with musical abilities as far as playing, singing, that had some good experience, like came from a church that was really, really strong in music, those had a little bit of a head start for sure. And because just that learning curve wasn't as steep for them. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest focus, and still is to this day, is to instill in them what this really is about. Yes, mm-hmm. There is the weekly grind of having the schedules out and working with the band and getting people prepared for Sunday. And, you know, all the technical parts of what goes into what we do, that is a, a big uh, part of what we do. But man, the other aspect is the part that takes much longer to train people because you either have a love for people and have a love for God or you don't. You know what I'm saying? And and in what we do, what my wife and I do at our church— it's so much deeper than just the worship set. You know, mm-hmm. you've got, we basically, we basically pastor a subset of our church. And to me, to me, there's a big difference. I know we're going to go down a totally different rabbit hole here. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> but there's a big difference in a, a music director and a music minister. Mm. or a worship pastor. Mm. There's a big difference in someone who plays the keyboard at your church and and teaches parts and someone who leads and influences and pastors a subset of the church. Mm. There's a big big difference. And that is my one of my passions is to teach people that no, I don't I'm not trying to be the pastor. I don't want to be the pastor. But 
you do have to shepherd people that God has put under you. And in our church, our choir is a, is a, is a pretty you know, large part of our you know, music department. And those people are the people who have God has entrusted us to influence and to spiritually guide. And yeah. no, we're not their pastor, but we are uh, ones that shepherd and guide them and, and, and really influence them. There's yeah. no doubt about it. If you do it right, you do it correctly. Because, um, yeah, we're in the trenches with them every Sunday as far as on the technical, but we're also, I think we're called to lead them and help our pastor lead them in spiritual areas as well. So all that to say, in college, that's hard to really instill in someone in four years. Yeah. You know, I can teach them how to play and get fairly proficient on an instrument in four years, but that other area takes time, and it really takes, it takes a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know that's a, probably a little bit bigger subject than you were asking. But. No, I think that's amazing. I think that's really good. I had I had not thought about the difference in those two roles, I guess. And yeah. it's, and it's really it's it's absolutely true. I'm thinking about how much time that um a music department spends together, just sheer absolutely. amounts of time in rehearsal in yes. preparation and how whenever you come into those situations, you bring with you whatever happened to you that day, whatever you're dealing with. Yeah. And so as the person leading that, you're going to see things that your pastor might not even notice in someone because on a random Tuesday night, they come in from work stressed out and yeah. and you're the one that's there that <laughs> is able to say, yeah. oh, you know, something's going on. I need I need yeah. to pray for you more or I need to counsel with you or I need to, you know, make sure you're all right or... Or we pray right there right. with them, yeah. Um, because that's the way my wife and I go about our job. Is I don't mean this the wrong way, but we don't call the pastor for that. Mm. He, he trusts us right. to to be uh, able to handle situations and say, "Choir, we need to pray right now." This is yeah. it's almost a family within the family with our church, you yeah. know. And I think that's healthy. Um, yes. A youth, a youth pastor. They pastor those young people that have God entrusted to them, right. and that's a that's a church within the church, you yeah. know. So, and I, and I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Personally, if if a music director and a, and a worship pastor is um, doing what I feel they're called to do, it's way bigger than just picking songs and holding up signs and teaching parts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now some of them don't want that and don't feel that that and and i guess that's okay for them but that's to me not what a pastor is looking for a pastor is looking for someone who really gets it really yeah. sees the full picture well because when there's unity within that group like you said it's a family within a family then when you come together to lead the corporate body in worship yes. there's a power there that that wouldn't be there otherwise absolutely and it, absolutely. And it makes an impact on the on the greater mm -hmm. the wider church yeah. And and the other thing, too, to say is, you know, our pastor trusts us. We don't want to be the pastor. We're not trying to take his job by no means, <laughs> not even remotely interested. <laughs> however, however, we do know what God's called us to do, and we're comfortable with knowing where those boundaries are. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, it's a church within the church. There is no doubt about it. And that's not a competition thing. Our pastor loves that we know how to handle 
those situations spiritually if there is something. Now, if it's something big, of course, we send them to the pastor. There's no doubt about that. Right. But um, it's, it's anyway, I, I don't want to open up too much on that. But at the same time, there is a big difference between a music director, someone who comes in and just plays and picks songs and does, does the worship on Sunday, and a worship pastor, which is someone who invests their life into influencing those that God puts around them. Yeah, I through, love that. through music. Yeah, yeah, through music. That's a really that's a really great thing. Really going to get some people thinking and that's one of the things we like to do around here. So, I appreciate awesome. that very much. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me a little bit about your role with UPCI, leading UPCI Music. What does that entail for you and kind of what kind of resources and things are available through UPCI Music that people might not be aware of? Okay. <laughs> I went to Brother Bernard about 7 years ago and I was, I can't remember where I was at, but I was remembering talking to my wife saying, I can't wrap my brain around the fact that the UPCI does not have a music department or music division. They have Mm. Sunday school, they have missions, they have children's, they have youth, they have all these things for our church, but nothing for music. Mm. And it just blew my mind that we didn't have that. So anyway, long story short, about seven years ago, I did write a proposal and I asked Brother Bernard if I could meet with him and, and talk to him about it. He said, sure. We talked, and he said, I like it. He said, I think it's time for this. And so he said, let's let's give it a try. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I was very happy. You know, he, he saw the need for it. And so anyway, where it started and, and where it still is, you know, we're, we're branching out in some different aspects now. But my goal was to pr- provide tools, basically training and resources for our music directors, for our, you know, musicians and singers. So really that's where it was birthed and and kind of my passion is to say, hey, we don't want to just start a, a cool music club. We want to actually have something that helps people. Mm. And so it's basically centered around right now a membership, which is a, a monthly membership that you get access to training on every instrument. Every church instrument, I shouldn't say every instrument, we don't have harmonica, <laughs> but um, so every like piano, bass, drums, organ, guitar, you know, that kind of thing. We have training every month on, it's all video based um, on these instruments, beginner level. We have a, a whole series on just beginners, if they want to learn to play from the, from the beginning um, to intermediate. And then we do what's called song tutorials, where we break down songs for churches. And that's kind of where the membership is a big tool for churches because in that membership, you get access to, um, we break down three new songs every single month. So we take like a contemporary song, maybe a gospel song, maybe a hybrid type of song. We'll take three songs a month. We break them down on every instrument. So piano breaks it down, how to play it on piano, drums on drums. Everything is in that membership. Plus, of course, all the charts, all the drum loops, and soprano, alto, and tenor parts are pre- pre-recorded. Mm. So a team can just download those MP3s, give them out to their singers to learn the parts. So it's just a basic resource and tool for churches to really give them a shot in the arm and give them help of like, man, this month I'm using this song because it's already done. I can send it out to my musicians and singers. They can start working on it. It saves them so much work and time on their end. Yeah. I w- I've been part of a music team that was that was using it, and um, it was nice. You just got they just sent it straight to us. Here, here are the files. Listen yeah. to this part, and you can just hear your isolated part over and over and over again. Get it memorized yeah. and come into practice. Absolutely. Ready? It was great. 
And that's really, you know, that's the that's the membership side of UPCI Music Ministry is that we offer those resources and tools to churches of all sizes, to be quite honest. Now, we have recently, two years ago, um, I felt, you know, we needed to start to add some more components to UPCI Music Ministry. So we um, started a music publishing company because I started noticing, which I noticed one of your questions later on, I started noticing a lot of our apostolic artists starting to produce music, Mm -hmm. starting to record music, starting to do it at a high level. And so I felt like we should start a publishing company because, and I don't want to go too far into publishing, but publishing is a a topic that not a lot of people know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Publishing really is a company that represents the song. Uh, not the artist. So if someone writes, if someone writes a song, now many times our artists are the writers. You know, what I'm saying, this, like say James Wilson or take him. Many times he writes his own song, so he would be the writer and the artist. Mm-hmm. But we rep- we represent the writer, just the song itself. So what publishing does is publishing is basically, um, if you could, uh, this is a bad term probably to say, but it's kind of like the agent. You're like the agent for the song itself. Hmm. You're watching out for the song. You're putting the song into the system. You're getting it into all the reporting agencies like BMI and ASCAP and CCLI. And you're doing all of the, you're doing all the business side of getting that song into the system, getting it protected, getting it monetized getting that song recorded on other people's albums. You are the agent, basically, for that song. And so it doesn't represent like a label. If you ever hear about something called a label, a label like such and such records, Mm -hmm. that would be a a music label. That represents the artist. And they book book those artists. They, They schedule the, they are like the agent for the artist. That's more of a label where a publishing company is more uh, centered around the song itself and getting that song out there and protecting the song. (laughs) So I'll give you an example. We were really, really fortunate to sign all of Anthony Trimble's songs Mm. through Weldon Music Publishing. His wife, uh, she wanted to get his songs protected and signed, and she signed all of his 37 songs wow. uh, to our to our music comp- our music uh, publishing company Weldon. And so, what was incredible about that is um, since that time, which has only been not even a year ago, since that time, we had a company out of. Uh, uh, it was actually a producer out of from the East Coast reached out to us and said, "Hey, there's a church. There's a big, big um, church in North Carolina. I think it's a Baptist church that wants to record a song called Like Our God' by Anthony Tremble." Hmm. So we, as a publishing company, we uh, held those. Basically, they had to go through the publishing company to get the rights to record that song. Hmm. But what's great is that whatever proceeds come from that song that they recorded will of course filter down to brother Anthony Trimble's wife because okay, that's who yeah. has the, has who owns the rights to those songs. So it's just a great publishing company is a great thing to protect because brother Anthony had no publishing whatsoever. So people could do his song and he had no legal recourse of being able to let them or not let them or get any kind of monetization from his music. Right. So it, it's, I know it's a little deep and a little boring, but, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's to, me, it's it's, to me, it's fascinating because apostolics are writing more and more now and our, the level has been raised and the bar has been raised so high, which I'm so thankful for because I wanted to see it for so long. Yes. 
And so that's kind of another umbrella under UPCI Music Ministry is welded music publishing now. So that's another exciting avenue that we're going down, and, and it's, it's been a great journey. We've only been doing it about uh, two years now, a little under two years. That's really exciting, yeah. I know just kind of listening to the news and paying, paying very very little, but a little bit of attention to the music industry and how um, technology and streaming and all of that has really impacted the way uh-huh. that artists and writers are are compensated for their work. Um, Absolutely. It's it's probably more important now than ever that you have somebody looking out for that and um, and making sure that people aren't just taking your stuff and you don't yes. get anything for it. Right. And a lot of people don't know the whole, all the business side of that, you know, and that, um, and that's okay. You, it, we, we try to do this. We try to let the writers do what they do, let them write, let them create, you know, and let, you know, publishing companies really handle that business side of them for them. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's been going really well. So tell me this, I've, this is something that I've wanted to ask somebody, but I think probably, um, artists that are writing and producing their own music will be hesitant to answer this question. Um, so maybe I'll just ask you. As a person who wants to support apostolic artists, we stream a lot of music. We have a Spotify, a premium account. We stream, um, you know, apostolic artists all the time. Yeah. Is there a benefit for us to go ahead and purchase those downloads, even if I'm not listening to them off of, you know, Apple Music or wherever I actually pay for them? Is that more beneficial to the artist if I were to do that? What's like, what's the best way that we can be supporting this, this growth well, of apostolic um, uh, music what's what's been great and, and what's been great uh probably in the last year or two is streaming you know when that first came about i i was really concerned because i felt like wow how are these writers and artists going to make any money if people are just streaming their music mm-hmm. they're not buying it anymore you know that really concerned me i was like this is crazy <laughs> you know mm-hmm. but i will say this now that i've learned more and saw more and things have changed quite a bit Streaming now is is of course people are getting um, paid for streaming. Okay. Now it, it's not you know it's not crazy good money as far as streaming, but it's now you have the reporting agencies out there, and of course I should have uh, our publisher on here talking about this because he knows <laughs> way more than I do. But you have these reporting agencies that now have all these algorithms where anytime something is played, it's getting reported. If that makes sense. Yeah. So in other words, if your song is being played in a lobby of a hotel, if that hotel's, you know, doing things the way they should, then that will get reported and someone will will make their royalty from that. Okay. So that's that's changed so much. And now our churches are, have gotten so much better. And that's one thing we're trying to do is educate our churches. You need a CCLI license. Mm-hmm. Because when our church reports how many times we played or how many times we sung such and such song, those artists are going to get those royalties from that. Okay. So that's a big plus is to make sure, you know, a church does follow that because that is how you are giving back to these apostolic artists is they're getting reports from CCLI and different places of saying, this is how many times your song was played or streamed in this church. Well, that's encouraging because um, all of the <laughs> all of the YouTube views and the Spotify streaming that we do in this house, it's good to know that, <laughs> that that's yeah. all getting um, a few pennies back to to, our, to our apostolic artists. Yeah, and it's not it's not you know a large amount, but it's 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 in volume and how many times yeah. people you know and, and YouTube's been a great thing for people to to monetize, of course. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, those. Things have changed, which I'm glad because I think it's helped our writers and artists 
because of those algorithms and things that now, you know, in fact, if you, if you notice even on YouTube, if you try to post something that's been um, published, it'll, it'll give you a warning saying, mm-hmm. hey, this song has already, re- you know, been re- uh, established and that kind of thing. So that's just, a, to me, that's a great safeguard of people abusing the system. Yeah, yeah. That's but good I to hope know. that helped answer yeah. your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good to know. I love that. All right, let's see here. We talked a little bit about, I mean, we've been talking a little bit about this, the future of apostolic music, how it's changing. One of the questions that we actually had a listener reach out and say, I want you to ask somebody about this question is kind of related to what we had written out, but slightly different, I guess. As people who are leading worship or choosing the songs that we sing in our churches, or as the people, like just as parents in our homes, deciding what kinds of influences we want in our homes, what kind of responsibility do we have to know where a certain song comes from or the background of who wrote the song do should there be any concern for us about if we hear a song that we like that we feel like it's you know a great worship song what kind of due diligence do we need to be doing if any to know that the influences behind that song are what we really want to have in our homes and our churches mm-hmm. well that's a big question there's no doubt that's a that could be the entire uh, podcast itself. <laughs> uh, that's a big question, and and you're going to have differences of opinions on this. There's right. no doubt in my mind. I probably have a little bit of a different view on it. My wife and I are very careful what we do uh, allow into our church, as far as because we're the gatekeepers, to be quite honest, of what comes into our church musically, mm-hmm. and so I am careful with that. I typically lean towards. If I listen to a song and, and and say I have no idea who the artist is and writer and all that stuff, I just listen to a song, I hear a song. Spiritually, if I'm moved by that song, if I feel the presence of God in that song or, or the lyrical content of that song is worshipful and I'm able to connect with that song, then it gets my attention, mm-hmm. okay? There's many songs out here on the radio that I just leave in the car and I love listening to them and, and they're great. They're great for the car but they're not meant really probably for me to bring in the church or that type of thing. I think you know what I mean by that. Yeah. But as far as me like researching out the artist or seeing if they have, you know, an appearance that I agree with, I will do it. You know, I can't say that I haven't went on YouTube to, you know, see their video or see what they look like. I, I can't say that I haven't done that. However, I usually can tell by just a song. I'll I'll give you a case in point. There are many songs that we sing in our churches that if we probably chose the song, say say we looked at the artist and we're like, are they apostolic? Do they they look UPCI? Probably not. Right. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll say it that way. Probably not. However, you know as well as I know, if there is a song that is that that elevates God and mm-hmm. really brings a spirit of of honoring God and worshiping God and moves people to worship Him, that to me is a tool to have in our service because I want to connect our people with God. I want mm-hmm. them to have an encounter. Mm-hmm. So, and, and and vice versa, I've seen some of our own people write songs. That I know, I know their lifestyle. I, I can vouch for it one hundred percent. But the song um, maybe is shallow or mm. doesn't really, you know, it's just okay. 
Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really move anybody to worship or engage. And I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm just being honest. Yeah. Um, then my whole goal with choosing songs for our church is finding songs that I think my congregation will connect with and will not, and that will not just be fluff. Right. If I could use that term, yeah. just basically where it's not just singing songs to sing songs, or I don't choose songs that are just popular. Mm. Personally, I don't feel the pressure. I, my wife and I, we like to do current stuff, of course, but I don't feel the pressure of, of doing a song only because the church across town is doing it. Mm. I just don't. And I'm not going to because that song may not resonate with our church. Right. We have done songs at our church, but to be quite honest, and that I thought were great. I thought our church would connect with, and they did not. Mm. And so we don't do those songs because— we tried a couple times, but if it doesn't work, we let it go. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm getting off topic a little bit, but I think as far as choosing the song on the now, of course, if I if I look at somebody and they they've got you know tattooed from head to toe and they've got piercings all over themselves, I'm probably not doing that song, mm-hmm. you know, because I just I'm probably not agreeing from where they're coming from, and I'm not sure what their motives are because of their lifestyle. However, at the same time. I'm not going to probably dismiss a song and say, I'll never do that song because they don't look exactly like they're from the UPCI. Right. If that makes any sense. I'm going to judge that song a little bit more on what are the lyrics? Is it glorifying us or is it glorifying God? Mm-hmm. And I, not to get on too big of a rabbit trail, but I'm on a big mission for our writers, for our apostolics to write more songs that are not about how good, how good God makes us feel. Mm-hmm. Meaning, there are so many songs about us, mm-hmm. and they're good songs, but they're songs about how how God makes us feel, how good God makes us feel, how blessed we are, which those are not a bad thing. However, I have noticed a trend that songs many times are all about us. Mm. And I'm pushing people to say, hey, let's write more songs that glorifies God, which they are glorifying God in a way, but they're in, they're a lot about us. Mm. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm trying to take the focus a little bit off of just how how much it is about us and make it more about what God is, and so and what he and and just his. Um, uh, if you think about the songs, you know, back in the day, they they were just written in a different form. They mm-hmm. they had a different message. So. Not to get on another tangent, but that's really where I'm. That's where I'm at as far as listening to a song and judging whether that song would be something I would do or listen to. Yeah, I think that's good. I like that. Well, we are about out of time. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you feel like you want to share before we wrap up with our final question? Um, let me think. I did have a couple things. I was looking at your um, questions before. One thing I did want to maybe touch on was um, you had asked a question, I think, in the notes that said, what do you see as a future for apostolic music? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is a, is a broad question. But and one thing I was going to say was I am so blessed and so thankful to see, and, and everybody can see this, that apostolics now are finally recording and writing and producing their own music. Okay. Mm-hmm something I've wanted to see for a long, long time, because in my opinion, we have way too long always went outside for our music. Mm. We have went to others, denominations, other whatever, to bring in their writing and their songs, and we did it in our churches, which I I don't have a problem with that. 
like we just had stated. However, I do know that we have the full truth. I do know that we walk in the anointing. And I just, I've been wanting to see us start to write. And others, I'm looking for the day, and it's already happening, where others start to come and take our music and do Mm -hmm. it in their churches. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and and that's starting to happen, which is amazing to see because I think that's where it should be. And so, with that being said, with all of the success that I'm seeing and just amazing uh, writing and producing that I'm seeing with from our artists and our writers, the only caution I guess that is in me is I worry a little bit about competition, mm-hmm. and I and I worry a little bit about commercialism. Mm-hmm. That's always going to be there. I understand that. I'm not you know, not naive to that. But at the same time, I, when I get a chance to talk with some of those that are, that are out there writing and producing and some of the artists, when I get a chance to talk with them, I do try to say to them, you know, which I know they know, and I know they have great mentors in their life that keep them grounded. But the main thing is to keep their prayer life, Mm -hmm. keep their walk with God strong, because if anybody knows music, the devil knows music. Mm. If anybody knows how to distort us when it comes to music, it's the enemy. He knows it better than anybody because that's what happened to him. And so I caution them constantly, keep your prayer life, keep your devotion. Victor Jackson made a statement one time and I wrote it down. I've never forgot it. He said, before people ever leave the doctrine, they first leave devotion. Mm. And I've never forgot that phrase. Before you ever leave the doctrine, you first leave devotion. And so the opposite of that is keep your prayer life. Mm. Keep your keep that constant. Don't let that waver because I believe when that's intact, you're going to be fine. Even yeah. when you have success, even when people are all over the world are doing your music, even when you know your career is quote unquote blowing up and people are loving your music and your writing is going into the churches and people are doing your songs, you'll be able to stay grounded. You'll be able to keep the focus on the right thing because you know, not to get too preachy, but God's word says, you know, no, no flesh is going to glory in his sight. And when that starts to happen, which I pray it doesn't, you know, that's, that's my only thing that I want to caution those of uh, that are out there writing and maybe having some uh, success with this, which I'm absolutely for it. A hundred percent. I've been wanting to see it forever, but we just have to be careful with it, handle it, have great mentors in our in our life, have people who speak into our lives. Don't ever become too big to have someone to say, this is what you need to do and keep your prayer life. And I really pray that that happens with, with all the success that we're seeing with our apostolic writers and artists. And I, and I believe it will. I absolutely yes. believe it will. So that's, uh, it's so exciting. We're living in an exciting day to see this, you know, to be honest, to see it happen. It's been many years and probably... Uh, several decades, to be quite honest, since we've seen this happening within our organization. I, I say bring it on. I think it's only the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I think it's only the beginning of what this is going to open up for others and the younger generation to follow after this. Thank you so much for that. I, I think that's great counsel and a great word of of wisdom for all of us and for people who are pursuing, just kind of taking what they're doing to the next level to remember that yeah. We've got to stay humble. We've got to stay connected. And we've Definitely. got to, we've got, like you said, we've got to have good voices speaking into our lives and guiding us in the right way because mm-hmm. any of us could veer off track without Absolutely. people helping us stay between the lines. So I really, I really appreciate those thoughts. 
Well, we always wrap up with the same question. We like to ask every one of our guests, what is a good question that you're asking yourself lately? <laughs> yeah, I saw that question. I was like, wow, that's a big question. <laughs> um, it's an important question, I guess. And I did, I did take some time to think about that and because I didn't want to just make up something and go from there. I, I tried to think about what is something that has been on my heart. I've been asking my, myself and I think I really would say to answer that question, it's probably this. Even the last few months I've been, I've been thinking this is, is basically, you know, the question would be, am I, am I doing, am I doing and using the platform that God has given me? Am I using that platform to shape and influence people and especially the next generation enough? And am I using that um, to, to really, because to be quite honest, and I say this to a lot of people, but influence is a powerful thing. It really is in, in whatever aspect that is. Influence can be a very powerful thing. And, and I've, <laughs> I've said this many times, you know, there, to me, there's a shortage of really, really good leaders out there. There's a lot of great leaders, but there's a shortage of really, really solid, incredible leaders. And I don't mean that disparaging remark, but I just mean we've got to be better at that. We've got to push ourselves to be better leaders. And I'm, I'm asking myself, am I using my platform that God's given me to do all I can do to, to shape and influence the direction of young music directors and, and musicians and singers? And I, and I ponder that question a lot. And it's, it's heavy for me because I think to whom much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. And when God gives you a platform or gives you influence, you've got to use it. You've got to do with it what God's asked you to do with it. And so it's a heavy question I'm asking myself daily and weekly is, are you doing all you can do to really help? Because, you know, when you have influence, you can help shape people. You can help uh, mold them and steer them, to be quite honest. Uh, And I'm so thankful for mentors in my life that I have really leaned on that's helped me and kept me in check. And, you know, and it's important. And yeah, that's kind of really where I'm at with this question is, God help me to to make sure that I'm, I'm doing all I can do in this area to to really be what people were for me and, and, and people spoken in my life so much and steered me and still do. And so I want to be that for the next generation. I want to help them uh, in this area. The future of apostolic music is bright and I cannot wait to see it uh, move forward. Well, I am so excited about it as well. I thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and um, your wisdom with us. This has been amazing. And we're so glad you could join us. Thank you so much for having me. I say it all the time, but we are all about conversations that get you thinking around here. And I know I definitely have a lot to think about after this one. I loved Brother Hoffie's practical advice for getting kids involved with whatever aspect of music they are passionate about and his heart for taking his passion for music and truly honing it as a ministry. And his final questions about using our influence and prioritizing prayer over production. Wow, truly convicting and thought-provoking. If this episode blessed you, I hope you'll tell someone about it. If you decide to share about it on social media, be sure to tag us so we can see it. We'd love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram. We are at Good Questions Show, and I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. 
Our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. To follow along with Team Tanderup on our swiftly approaching short-term missions adventure to Denmark, we're at Tanderups for Denmark on Instagram and Facebook. That's Tanderups with an S, the number four, Denmark. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media. It's produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup, my co-producer, editor, scheduler, baby wrangler, and underpaid but overall amazing husband is Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Powalczyk. Special thanks again to Ricky and Jessica Simpson for their assistance with this whole season. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.